0: Welcome to this week's episode of Thrive Subscribe. Today I have two uh, pharmacist owners with me, Kelly Kent and um, our host, Randy McDonough. Uh, my name is Suzanne Feeney, and I'm here today to really kick off a cu- guided conversation around pediatric vaccination rates and we know that in light of the pandemic you know we've seen it um, really from march through the summer um, the headlines that pediatric vaccinations are being missed due to this covid pandemic and we know that our community pharmacists are frontline first line seeing patients on the day-to-day so We have both Kelly and Randy here today to talk with us a little bit about what we need to keep in mind in community practice to ensure that our pediatric patients are not falling behind on their vaccination rates, to advocate for flu vaccine, um, of course, for COVID when that's available, um, but really looking at all the other vaccines that we can either partner with prescribers to advocate for or provide ourselves uh, to our patients. Um, Special thanks with this episode. It's actually being sponsored by RxSafe. So Special thanks to them um, for sponsoring this important work that we're doing today. Um, We'll also have um, some additional links in the show notes to uh, Pediatric Immunization CE that's coming up here in September, um, to your Immunization Update CE. We'll have a link to register for that um, in the show notes as well. So lots of resources um, available for you to take this education to the next step. Uh, to get started, though, um, Randy, I just I wondered maybe you could talk a little bit about what's going on at Towncrest. And, and you know, even perhaps before that, Kelly, Randy and I are on here all the time talking, um, but we haven't had the opportunity to have you on in a while. And maybe you could just give a, a little bit of background about yourself um, and your practice site. Sure. Thanks, Suzanne. Um yeah. Yep. So my
1: name's Kelly Kent. I've been with Towncrest Pharmacy for a little over six years. Uh, last October, last October, I took the step and became a co-owner along with uh, Randy McDonough and Mike Denninger. Um, it's yeah, it's been a wild ride since that day. So we we threw in COVID to that excitement and it keeps us going. But along with that has created um, some new opportunities for us as as we work worked through some of these interesting interesting challenges that have come up. So um, I've continued in my role as director of clinical operations there. So on a day-to-day basis, I'm involved with all of our uh, clinic activities, including any kind of medication reviews, off-site or on-site, our vaccination clinics, um, any of our enhanced MTM programs, and working very closely with our resident that's there, too. So... In assume in in addition to assuming some ownership roles over the past year,
0: just yeah. that, and just during a pandemic. Oh.
2: Yeah, at well, has been a good addition, um, both as a clinical pharmacist and you know the background with Kelly. She was uh, one of my residents, and so we we stayed connected through the years. And so I was fortunate when we had the opportunity to work together, and even more fortunate when. I approached her a year ago, January of 2019, over a year ago, and asked her what the next step was, and she brought um, the thought of being an owner. And mm-hmm. so Mike and I thought that would be a good addition, and it has been. Um, she has come in, you know, turbulent times, right, Kelly, as we are starting to understand with the COVID-19 yeah. and, and the fights we continue to have with the PBMs. But I would also say that is probably. Uh, opportunities are still out there, and I think there will be a lot more opportunities. I don't think I know, because I see those, um, but it's going to be important for all of us to capitalize on those opportunities that exist for us. Suzanne, you, you asked about our immunization program and you know what kind of stuff have we done with, with the pediatric population. First and foremost, let me just tell you that we are mostly a 50 plus pharmacy, which means we see an older patient population. Um, It's been that way um, from probably the very beginning. Um, That's been our demographics, which from a pharmacy perspective is probably not a bad demographic uh, since they're on a lot of medications. But from a pediatric perspective, uh, we don't do a lot of pediatric medications. Now, with that being said, though, we have um, been involved in pediatric vaccines, and we've been doing that from the very beginning, ever since I came on board. And that was, you know, 14 years ago now, um, we started partnering with some of the pediatric clinics, especially during the flu season, to provide flu vaccines, because a lot of times the pediatric offices run out of vaccine because they buy so much. um, Or there's also uh, the challenge of just the timing of when the patient and the family can get a shot. And a lot of times the community pharmacy offers that um, time availability for them. So we have been involved in that aspect as well. We also were the first was, we were the first pharmacy in the state to be a vaccine for children program um, located at a community pharmacy. So that's the federally funded program um, where families that can't afford vaccines for the children um, it's, it's funded and it's going it goes through the Iowa uh, Department of Public Health who um, then provides the vaccine, which they get from uh, the federal government, and then they provide that to us. And then we just keep track of those vaccines differently as an inventory. We have to give back what we don't use, um, but there's no fee to the patient. So it gives the patient the ability to get the access to the vaccines. We're very proud that we were the first pharmacy uh, in the state of Iowa to actually have that designation. And then also we were recognized by the Iowa Department of public health a number of years ago um, for vaccine excellence as far as um, our program of reaching out and getting vaccines to a variety of different populations and and we do go off site to give uh, vaccines as well too mm-hmm. so we have a pretty robust vaccination program it's not focused across the board on all vaccines um, part of that is just um, you know the uh, I would say the opportunity, um, because there's some opportunities that are better for a community pharmacy. Some of them, um, where the pediatric office or other physicians, primary care physicians, are doing the shots. Some of those other shots that we don't do on a more regular basis. But with that being said, we have gotten involved in some vaccines um, that um, we really were not initially part of, and one of those is HPV. And and Kelly was a, a major. Um, player in our program that we did with a primary care office, um, and it was a family practice office associated with the university. And they had a medical director at the time who was very keen on trying to improve their immunization rates for HPV because they realized since it was a multi-dose vaccine, that they were losing follow-up to patients. and They were looking for a better way to do it. And so they uh, felt like this might be an opportunity to work with the community pharmacy. And so it was a research project. And I believe it was also with public health and and Bill Doucette, um, who was a lead author on this uh, program, lead researcher, um, got us connected with the family practice clinic. And we started this program. Kelly, can you kind of explain what was the role of us and how did we, Uh, monitor the patients and how do we communicate that information back to the physicians and and then overall tell us what you think about how effective the program was.
1: Yeah, it was a great program. Um so how it worked was that the patient would receive their initial dose at that family practice clinic and then the family the staff at the family practice clinic would send us an e-script for that second or third dose if that was appropriate. that second or third dose, along with faxing us a face sheet with all the individual's demographic information, um, and then we would reach out to that individual and their family to schedule that follow-up appointment. Um, I do know at the time that the patient was receiving that first dose, the physician and their staff had a conversation with the the patient and their family to say to explain the vaccination process that. This is a two or three dose series. Uh, and I say that because right in the middle of this project, the recommendations on HPV changed. And um, so they um, would say this is a two or three dose project or series that you'll need to get. Um, we are allowing you you know, the, the opportunity to go to Towncrest Pharmacy to receive subsequent doses. Would you like us to share your information and they can reach out with you and schedule that. And so we got a lot of referrals that way. And then we would reach out to the patient right away when we got that order just to establish who we were and that we were going to uh, follow up with them. And um, generally, it was six to 12 months to schedule that second and final dose. Um, At that point, we reached out with the patient. We scheduled that second and final dose, um, provided the vaccination, loaded the result into IRIS, and then we did send a brief soap note to the physician and their medical team, so they would be aware that the patient got it. Um, yeah, so that was that was pretty much how it worked. Um, I think overall, the the patients and their families just really appreciated how uh, convenient it was to come Monday through Friday, nine to six. Um, I know this particular family practice wouldn't schedule vaccinations any later than like two forty-five in the afternoon, and so this allowed students that to not have to miss school, um, even those students that were involved with um, after-school extracurricular activities could go to their activities and still have time to come to the pharmacy to receive that vaccine. So it was it was just a very convenient opportunity for the patients to receive that. Um, for us, when we were establishing that contact with the patient um, to let them know that we were going to provide the, the subsequent doses. Um, it was a, you know, the the physician had already instilled in the patient the importance of vaccination and the that this was a multi-dose series. So um, uptake from the patients was very well received. We didn't have a lot of, I, th- I mean, really, our only denials were people that moved out of state throughout the course of the project. And um, but it was, it certainly brought new people into our pharmacy because these were younger younger patients uh, that we may or may not have have known but they were also uh, living very close to our pharmacy so definitely individuals that we could capture for future care future services too
2: you know Kelly um, you know HPv that was a big one for us because we had not been doing that vaccine in the pharmacy so it was exciting for us to be a part of that you know we uh, can you um, expand on um, beyond Blue and HPV. Are there any, any other pediatric vaccines we have done or made available to our patients in some capacity?
1: Um, I'm not. I'm not aware of any additional that we have offered to our patients.
2: Yeah, and 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 I appreciate that. Um, you know, I didn't know if there was just if we made available to offices, if we buy vaccines for other offices to that purchase from us. I know we we've, we've had that um, that situation. Yes,
1: we do. We have done that. Worked with other family practice offices to sell them vaccines, and um, in that case, um, in particular, we work with some smaller physicians offices that maybe just don't want to purchase a whole box of ten doses at once. And so we'll buy the box and then sell them, you know, one dose, four doses, kind of as they need it to help with their cash flow.
2: Right. I know we've done that quite a bit for some of our smaller practices from um, that mm-hmm. capacity. But now let's addition, talk about. Sorry, go ahead.
1: It, I was just thinking in addition to utilizing that mini bar RX, which has allowed us to store the vaccine, but we don't get billed for it until we pull it out of the vaccine to dispense it to a patient or to a physician's office, that's allowed us to not have to carry a lot of overhead.
2: Yeah, and for those people who aren't bit, um, familiar with mini bar RX, do you want to uh, just explain that?
1: Yeah, so um, mini bar RX is a a small fridge that we have in the pharmacy. That um, it, I think it could probably hold twenty four different vaccinations or so vials and pre-filled syringes. Um, We work directly with the mini bar X company to decide what and how much we want to stock in that fridge. Um, And then once we pull out a dose, we all, all the pharmacists have been trained and have a code. And so when we, you know, for example, when we need a dose of PCV13, we go in, we punch out our, our code in there, we pull out one dose. And at that point that sends a message to the mini bar folks to then bill us for that one dose They're aware of our inventory levels. Once they fall below a certain threshold, then they'll send us 10 more doses or five more doses to restock it. But in that way, we're not uh, carrying that overhead and potentially having things that are outdated or, or just not getting used for more than six months or so.
2: And that's what's important is because in the past, if a physician office wanted to get one or two doses and it came as a box of 10 we'd be more hesitant to do that, to carry that stock because we're not sure if they're gonna use it or not. The mini bar RX allows us to do that more frequently now. Is that correct?
1: Yes, yep. Very easy to use, yes.
2: So the next thing, Kelly, is, you know, as we look at um, us being part of a a high-performing network and, you know, being part of CPSN Iowa and CPSN USA, one of the uh, required services is that we have either an immunization program or a way to refer patients. So can you explain uh, to the listeners what's our process for providing care, whether it's a pediatric patient or an older patient, as far as uh, reviewing their immunization history and then making any kind of a recommendation or referral?
1: Right. So um, kind of we've got a few different formats. If the patient is walking in to receive Um, you know, say they just come in and ask about getting a flu vaccine. Um, There's a consent form that they will fill out. Um, We process that through their insurance and then we bring them back to our patient care area where we provide that vaccine. Um, Prior to having the patient come back, we're always referring to Iris to see, um, to ensure that they haven't already had this and they are indeed eligible for it. And then um, seeing what other vaccinations they are eligible for. Um, and then at that time, we're talking to them, you know, when they come back, have you had, you know, your pneumonia vaccination? Have you had the shingles vaccination? We're having that conversation with them. Um, those, those would be patients that are walking into the pharmacy specifically to receive a vaccine. We also target our patients during our medication reviews for and review their current immunization history to see what vaccines they might be eligible for. Uh, and then provide those recommendations to the patients. Um, and then all of our medication synchronization patients. We've got almost a thousand patients enrolled in our medsync program, and all of those patients get a every every fall we do another immunization history on those patients to see what vaccinations they might be eligible for we've got a template built into our clinical documentation system that we can quickly send to physicians to inquire if they have in fact had PPSV23 or you know if, if we don't have record of it in our system and it's not in iris and the patient isn't aware, we'll send a note straight to the doctor to ask. Um, but those MedSync patients, we do a thorough review on those patients um, when their sync is coming due. And then when we call them to talk with them uh, to review their medications, uh, we're also Encouraging them to get any eligible vaccinations that, that they might be eligible for and discussing those at that time and offering, yes, you can get that at the pharmacy or you can get that, you know, at your doctor's office, just making sure that they understand the different means by which they might receive that.
2: And IRIS, for those who are wondering what IRIS is, it's our state registry program for vaccines, and we, we utilize that in multiple ways. We utilize it to assess our patients, as Kelly talked about, to determine if they're eligible. Now, the system is only as good as information put in, and all providers are supposed to be putting information in that, so you hope it is. Uh, but we also will check with the um, patient's position just to ensure that, um, you know, everything is accurate and then make our, our recommendation to the to the doc. And then we also enter our information in whenever we give a vaccine into IRIS as well too. So it's updating that information for all providers to see that. So, you know, we, when we were recognized by the Iowa Department of Public Health, that's when we, you know, um, became part of the state registry program and making sure we're putting all that information into there as well too. So it's it's a nice tool to have and to ensure that patients are being updated with their, with their vaccines. Mm-hmm. Kelly, as we're moving into the flu season, and as COVID-19, um, as we look at the vaccines, we got a number of companies that are in phase three. So we hope either by late fall or early next year that we'll have a COVID-19. And that's going to be available to you know probably all populations, all ages, and uh, with probably the more at-risk patients getting it, getting access to it first. We've been through this before, Kelly, with the H1N1, except that yeah. vaccine be more readily available, and that really just, you know, changed how we did vaccines because the, during that year, patients were getting two vaccines. They were getting the the flu vaccine along with H1N1 because it had not existed yet. And uh, so, what do you what do you predict's going to happen um, when this vaccine becomes available, and what's going to be the role of us as community pharmacists?
1: I think it's going to be a wonderfully busy time in community pharmacy. We're going to be providing a lot of education, a lot of reassurance to patients um, and providing that vaccination to them. I think it's going to be um, probably, as you mentioned, the timing of that COVID-19 vaccine will be mostly after the flu season. So I think, um, you know, we certainly plan to have the conversation with our patients uh this fall as they're receiving their influenza vaccine, making sure that they're aware that there will be um, a COVID-19 vaccine. And that's definitely something that they they want to get as soon as that's available. I think it's a great opportunity to use um, any outreach calls that your pharmacy might be able to do uh, just to reach a larger number of people to let them know as soon as you have the vaccination available. Um, I think, it's going to, it's good, just going to be very important that we make sure that people understand that the influenza vaccine is not the same as the COVID-19 vaccine. There's going to be two different ones and they, they want, we want to make sure that they get both of both vaccinations at, at the earliest possible time.
2: And that uh, the COVID-19, we're not even sure, maybe a, more than a one-time vaccine, it could be, you know, two two vaccines. I think we're still looking at that in the clinical trials as well, too. So there's a lot right. to unfold on this as well.
1: Right. We don't thing, know what timing will look like or or what the vaccination will actually entail. Yeah.
2: The last thing I want to talk about is, you know, you talked about influenza and, and we do a lot of influenza vaccines and we do partner with a pediatric clinic. And can you talk about that partnership and the collaboration, the collaborative practice agreements that we uh, work with them on?
1: Yeah, we we do have a collaborative practice agreement with a local uh, pediatric practice to offer vaccinations to their patients that are down to age six months. Um, and so if the patient comes in and they are a patient at that clinic, we can offer the um, influenza vaccination to that patient. So, for that reason, we do stock a variety of different flu vaccines. You know we make sure that we've got uh, flu zone and sometimes the um, the appropriate dose for those younger patients. and then um, if they need the the booster, then we're talking to them about scheduling that at the the right interval.
2: Yeah, and actually the office relies on us totally to be monitoring the situation and just informing them with the vaccine series, because for some of our younger patients who maybe never had a flu vaccine, they're getting two doses and mm-hmm. so they're counting on us. They're not, you know, they're not um, second guessing. They're just saying you guys just tell us when it's completed and we just take care of that. And uh, so it's, I think it's been a good program overall and we don't have any issues. And like I said, they usually run out of uh, vaccine very early within the fall um, because they just buy enough, I think, to. Uh, get them through and hope, and then they, uh, at that point, refer patients on. So, Kelly, how many uh, pediatric influenza vaccines do you think we do every year on average?
1: Um, well, as you mentioned earlier, we're definitely a 50-plus pharmacy. So, um, like with our VFC, pediatric vaccinations, I know we do 20 or less of those um, um, I'm going to say maybe 50 to a hundred pediatric influenza vaccines a year.
2: And we've gone pretty young too. We've done six months old. Yeah. Right?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. so tell me what's the, what's the difference between doing a very young, uh, infant like that, uh, versus an older, you know, 12 year old, what, what's the difference? What do we have to do differently?
1: Um, Well, parental involvement is always helpful or guardian involvement is always helpful to hold the child and reassure them. I've learned that (laughs) Um, just to reassure the child, too. So oftentimes in those little kiddos, we're doing them in the thigh. Just it's a little more comfortable for the for the child. It's a kind of a meatier spot to to vaccinate right there. So um, versus um, uh, an older adult, we would obviously be doing it in the deltoid. And um, still providing still providing the same you know vaccination to them. I think just having the parent or guardian involved with those kids can offer some reassurance and some stability. You know, in case the case the child is anxious or or crying or moving, it just helps to stabilize them.
0: So um, we can efficiently and quickly provide that vaccine. Gosh, Kelly, you're bringing me back to a lot of memories of of going through that <laughs> with, my, with my kids. And you know, we I always made sure. So both my kids were in the NICU, and you know, one of the things that I learned there, which I probably learned in pharmacy school too, but just is how sugar really helps with pain management. So yeah. I just carried that through like all of my kids' childhood vaccines, and it was like, okay, here's your lollipop, or here's whatever it is. <laughs> um, you know, so that yeah. as a parent was something that I don't know made me at least feel like I was I was helping the younger kids. Um, and I, I also remember, gosh, you guys are immunizing young ones, but for the other pharmacists out there who I think are are looking um, to have collaborative practice agreements that allow them to go to six months. Um, you know, and I think also we'll see, um, you know we do we do know that the uh, VFC eligible children is expected to increase as a result of the COVID pandemic. So I think, you know, Mm -hmm. a great call to action for those of you who are not um, enrolled in that program, that federally funded program. Um, I think, you know, getting out there making sure you have that in place now um, to help with flu season, you know, to help with this COVID vaccine, um, you know, that's definitely, I think, a takeaway uh, for parents, or parents, gosh, I got my kids on the brain, for pharmacists and pharmacies that are out there uh, to enroll in that so you have um, that vaccine available um, and can get that into to patients that need it. Um, so, but I don't know any any other tips on providing um, vaccines because I know that's a lot of hesitancy. I think for, for our pharmacist listeners um, to explore this as an opportunity. Um, you know, gosh, just not certain on how to administer. And and you made it seem like it was it was pretty easy. But if there's anything you did to train your staff or yourself, um, you know, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that just so people are comfortable. Mm-hmm.
2: Suzanne, one thing before I will have Kelly speak, but you know yeah. we've done pretty. I've gone all the way down to six months myself, and uh-huh. the six month old's not the problem. It's the three year old. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Excuse me, and they're you know fighting it and don't want it because they've got a memory of what it did, what it happened before. Mm-hmm. And even some of the older seven, eight year olds. I mean, it, and, and so you got to be a lot more patient because there's going to be more time involved. This is not just going to be a quick thing. You got some okay. kid that are a little braver than others. And other ones you just have to coax and they have to get mentally prepared. And you got to allow them that time to do that. So getting involved in pediatric vaccines does require you to be more patient, uh, mm-hmm. be more caring, um, be, uh, you know, just demonstrating empathy um, to the individual and helping them through coping through this because they're mad and they're mad at their parents. They're mad at yep. you. Oh, yeah. and so you're just trying to help them kind of work through that. So what what you shouldn't do is just, you know, force it. And I've seen that situation as well, too. And and that is not a good a situation. You know, get, the parents getting mad is not a healthy situation. So yeah. I've even had parents take their um, child home and said, let's try another day. Um, yeah. You know, I know you're here, but this is not a good situation. And yeah. he'd run away from me and hiding in the corner. You <laughs> oh. know, that, a challenge, and, and, and I want to tell you, it doesn't just happen to us. I, I'm, I'm going to tell a quick story here um, that I think people might find amusing, but it happens in other offices, other uh, you know providers' offices. My oldest daughter, Nicole, who would be mortified knowing that I'm saying this,
0: we won't tell her <laughs> when she
2: was getting ready for her kindergarten, getting all her you know um, childhood shots before she goes to school, which was a whole series of them, right? Yep. And, uh, Nicole was in the pediatrics office with my wife Carol. And they gave the first, you know, shot of the series. And Nicole just went ballistic and ripped off all of her clothes. I mean, she was stark naked, ran out into the waiting room, ran ran into the corner. And as people were coming over here, she looked around with her arms, you know, uh, crossed. She goes, don't touch me. (laughs) She's
1: not going to like us sharing that one.
2: (laughs) So the point is, now she, she's fine getting it, you know, vaccines now, isn't it? But the point is, this happens to everybody. So you, this yeah. is you know this is going to happen, and the question is, how do you handle it? So it's yeah. more to be prepared for the situation and know when when to say when, and, yeah. and when do you have to um, just give the 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 um, child time to to cope with it and get ready for it, Kelly?
1: Yes, I would agree with that. Um... It is a lot of being patient. I was recalling specifically, yeah, with um, an HPV patient several years ago. Our resident spent no less than 45 minutes with this um, teenager, um, wow. talking her through this, and it was um, it was anxiety on the part of the parent who was amped up, and therefore amping up the child, and um, it was a constant. Um, it, it took a lot of patience. So uh I think we've all been there where there's cases where it's just not the right day. It's not the right time and knowing yeah. when to say that. But in the case of, you know, some of these HPV patients, they are they are you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, like they're they're very aware of what they're doing, um, and they're familiar with um cancer. And so when you talk about the um Positivity of the vaccination and and what this is doing, they can understand that. They can rationalize that, and um, just making sure that those patients are understanding what um, what they're doing for their own health. The you know, yes, it's going to hurt for a moment, but this is what we're preventing down the road. And you you know, the children are smart. Like they're gonna they're gonna understand that. They're gonna realize that. Mm -hmm. I think. I've also learned, yeah, like Randy said, the three-year-old patients; those are those are the hard ones, and that's where I've said, just as as a parent, um, making sure that it, it makes it has made me very aware when I go in with my own children to try to calm my own anxiety and relax because kids yeah. pick up on that and and see how I how you respond to it too. But having the parent hold the child. And, and talk them through that and not watching the vaccination and uh, just, right.
0: it, it, it's over in just a moment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I want to pause here. Um, we do have a, a message from our sponsor. So I want to pause here. Um, And we can listen a little bit to some of the services that RxSafe has available to support community practice. So, we'll pause here for a moment. And then um, just a couple of things I wanted to come back to, kind of summarize some action steps um, and talk a little bit about a tool that's available. Um, So, we'll just pause here and be back in a moment. Hello, pharmacy owners. I'm
2: Rexy the Robot with RxSafe. Do you need more time for profitable services such as patient immunizations? RxSafe delivers automated systems for retail pharmacies, enabling them to save thousands of dollars on pharmacist and technician labor, while improving patient safety and boosting profitability. Let's hear from RxSafe customer Ben McNabb we've been able to actually reduce uh, payroll as we've added these new services, which has just astounded me. So that was a big surprise. Being able to see how we're able to grow while basically keeping staffing at the same level or lower has just been fantastic for our business. And especially right now in this environment, keeping uh, your payroll controlled is critical right now.
1: Thank you, Ben.
2: For more information on RX Safe visit rxsafe.com.
0: Okay, well, we're back and um, with Kelly uh, Kent and Randy McDonough. And thanks so much to RxSafe again for sponsoring this. Um, a couple of things to close out. I, I just maybe with one last question, you know, but both of you talked a lot about the work that you do with local prescribers. And, you know, in the beginning of the podcast, even Talking about how you communicate with prescribers when you know they're running out of flu vaccine, or you know when you have um, referrals that you need to send their way, and, and the work you do with your collaborative practice agreement, we have a free tool available um, for those of you who are listening, which you can download. Um, the link will be in the show notes. But just to really help facilitate that communication with prescriber offices, um, and Randy and Kelly, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about um, you know what you've done that's worked well, um, you know whether it's through your computer system or fax tools, but, you know, how do you really stay in touch with prescribers on all the work you're doing? Um, you know, whether it's through the inventory management that you talked about sharing or um, the collaborative practice agreement, um, just really to, to advocate for childhood vaccines.
2: So, um, Suzanne, what I would say is we always try to involve communications to the physicians. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that is the team approach. And so beyond the collaborative practice agreement, which one of the physicians from that pediatric clinic is signing, plus we have another one for anybody 18 years of age and older um, that another physician signs for us an internal medicine doc signs for us. Communication back to the primary care physician is important just so that they know what has happened. We also put down um, which arm we used and the site um, via sub-Q versus IM. Deltoid versus another area, so we're making sure they know that too. Part of that is to ensure that if something does go wrong, they know what is what is happening. So making that communication when something happens. <clears throat> now we've had you know um, situations where someone had a, a worse reaction than normally seen, and that's important also that you're documenting that information and not only through <clears throat> the program that you have to do with the vaccines, the vers. Uh, but also making sure that their primary care physician knows what's going on, what you've explained to the patient, et cetera, and then refer them if they need to, if there's something that you think there's there's something worse going on, that they should probably need to be referred back to the primary care physician. But it's just a constant, um, you know, communication back and forth. And so that's how we clinically have done that. We believe it has improved our relationship with the providers over the years. There's many providers we have never met in person yet respond to us on a regular basis did that happen right off the bat no it took time for them to understand that there's something different going on in this pharmacy what was this communication they're sending me but once they saw the communication that we were providing to them and we'll make it clear that this is fyi information versus nope this is actually a clinical recommendation we're making uh, then they start seeing that as being valuable and they start responding and so we Whenever we send a communication out, we usually get about a 90% response rate. And usually and that's real time within a 24 hour period, we'll get a response back um, from the doc. Either they verify that, yes, I got this communication or they're accepting the recommendation uh, that we've made. Kelly?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, our response rate has been great. And I think for us, we've really strived to make sure that all the communication that we send to our physicians and other healthcare providers is always in a consistent format. So it's always in our soap note format um, and we've really worked to make it very concise and that's where we've added templates to our clinical documentation system to make it very efficient for our pharmacists for our pharmacist to document um, administering a vaccination in thirty seconds or less just within the clinical documentation system grab it off the printer throw it on the fax and it's it's quickly and easily sent to the physician and we Definitely. And we've used that same process even um, administering other types of injections. So it's a very consistent message that the, the physicians
0: are getting from our practice. Great. Well, thank you both so much for sharing that. And, um, for those of you listening who, who maybe don't have something in place or just want to check it out, um, encourage you to download that tool. And I think one of the things that will help with is that consistent communication. Um, so really a, a lot of great points here today. Um, Randy, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us, um, and, and sharing, you know, your experience. Um, and I know you say you're a 50 plus practice, but it seems like you just have done so much, um, to advance pediatric immunizations in the community setting through your HPV study. Um, which we'll put the links to that in the show notes um and and really just having that collaborative practice agreement. Um, you know, and and I think it's just a great resource that we can provide to our communities right now in, in the midst of all of this to ensure that, you know, vaccine preventable diseases are, are not causing outbreaks on top of what's already happening. So um thanks so much to both of you for your time today. And um uh good luck, Kelly, with the with the ownership and everything that's that's going in place. And um Yeah, thank you. Yeah. All right. Take care. All right. To our listeners, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Lots of resources available to you. um, And if if you have questions or comments, um, check out our website and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone.
2: The Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com, where you can join our free community to inspire you challenge you and transform your pharmacy practice.